Hello, everybody. Welcome to Franchise Simply and our Franchise Radio Show. Thanks for joining me for another one of our acclaimed interviews. Uh, today's a sp another special one. I've got, a, I've got a fairly rare breed here today. I've got a franchise specialist accountant. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to Peter Knight. He's a man who I probably met 25 or 30 years ago. Yep, I think that's it. Yeah, we see each other from time to time, passing the franchise expos or conferences or whatever. Yes. Uh, and I did speak to him on the show here about eight, seven or eight years ago. But Peter is one of Australia's leading franchise accountants. He acts for quite a number of franchisors and franchisees. Um, and he works with them right from initial sort of due diligence when they're looking at acquiring something, for example, helping them establish their companies, looking after their accounting, tax, budgets, cash flow, all those exciting things us business owners absolutely thrive on. So, <laughs> But this is this is Peter's bread and butter and he loves it and he, he, he does a brilliant job. So um, some 10 years ago in 2012, he set up the Franchise Accountants Network, um, providing franchise discussion groups and networking for CFOs and senior accountants in the sector. They have a conference every year, and in fact, you're telling me the next one is in Melbourne later on this year. So, yep. um, in fact, when is it, Peter? Yeah, end of uh, end of September, last week of September. Right. Okay. Well, any of you find that of interest, take note. So, his practice uh, is called Franchise Accounting and Tax, and is the only accounting practice, as I mentioned, in Australia, focused solely on the franchise sector, and it, it provides the full range of suite of services you'd expect. He's a former president of the CPA. New South Wales branch and former chairman of the National Board of Public Practice. So he comes with a, a high profile and a lot of knowledge at higher levels, but also on the coalface, which is what I really love about Peter. Down to earth, understands the nitty gritty of business. Um, he travels overseas quite often. He's visited six or seven countries um, as a conference uh, presenter, speaker, and even recently was invited over to Shanghai to speak on practice growth over there to symposium of Chinese accountants. There you go. So, yeah, imagine, imagine how exciting that was. <laughs> He's been a, a, a lecturer and tutor in advanced financial accounting at Macquarie University in Sydney and regular speaker at conferences generally. He's also a national judge for the very prestigious Small Business Award. Peter, good day to you. How are you? Yeah, really well. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's an absolute pleasure. I might mention to any of you listening, if you're not driving your car, you know, a notebook and a pen nearby, I think you'll find helpful to make references. Um, but let's get the ball rolling. Anything I've overlooked in that bio of yours there, Peter, you'd like to add? No, it actually sounded quite, uh, it's quite humbling listening to somebody read out your own bio. So I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very pleased with that. Thank you. Ah, good. It was me, you say. Was it really me? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are, I suppose let, let's let's we we kicked around this idea of, of the topic is what are the risks and opportunities show up, showing up in the current business environment and I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that particularly from someone with Peter's background and experience so we'll lead into it with some particular sort of questions so I suppose if you're looking to buy a franchise at the moment and we'll be discussing franchising by the way from growth perspectives as a franchisee and a franchisor but for someone looking to buy a franchise as a prospective franchisee what, what do you see some of the risks currently that they should be conscious of Peter? Yeah thanks Brian there's a there's a couple of 
um, risks out there at the moment, but, but let me couch that by, by also flagging there's plenty of opportunities. But, but just for now, let's have a, have a think about some of the risks. Um, first of all, the buy-in price, like the cost to buy the thing. Um, when, you, when you go to purchase the franchise, you'll be talking to either the franchisor or a franchise salesperson. And in the discussion, they'll show you likely some figures from other franchisees over the years and how they're going because one question prospective franchisee is going to be wondering is how much can I make? So probably the first one to just bear in mind when you're looking at figures that you've been given um, from a franchisor, just bear in mind that they relate to a time in Australia's history with record low interest rates and record low inflation. So the figures you'll be looking at will be historical. And so buy-in costs and the ability to fund your purchase, finance your purchase, was lower. So that doesn't mean it's still not a good idea, but what it does mean is to factor those into your calculations, bearing in mind that costs will have gone up, but particularly from an interest perspective, if you need to borrow money for it, or if you're taking a drawdown on your home loan, that the cost of those funds um, will have gone up and needs to be factored in. There's a knock-on effect from this, and that's this. When you're looking to um, assess how good a franchise is, how it stacks up, one of the ways that we look at that is to assess, say, an expected future profit. We can come up with some forecasts for this. And then we divide that into the purchase price. Um, and from that, we work out what we call a payback period. How long does it take the profits of the business to pay back the original investment? And we measure this in years. So again, as a result of increasing of costs, that payback may take longer. Again, not a deal breaker, but certainly something to bear in mind. That's interesting because, um... Yeah, I suppose when we talk about payback, it's always an interesting one, let's face it. And it's always speculative because you don't know the future. Um, but what would you say would be the sort of roughly the market figures? I mean, there's, there's very different elements of the market. So if we look at a service franchise, one would think their payback is probably quicker. But if you look at one where there's infrastructure, um, like one of your clients, Knocky Knocky Brothers, for example, where you've got you've got a kitchen fit-outs, you've got you know high amounts of refrigeration, etc., etc., etc. What what would you what would you be looking at as a rule of thumb, Peter? Yeah, rule of thumb on this. I think it's a great question. But to give a guide, we we would like to we reckon a sweet spot is three years or three and a half years. And again, depending on the infrastructure involved, um, if it's less than two years, um, that, that there are some that are out there for that, which means the profit you can make, um, you, you, you apply that against the purchase price, it'll take you less than two years to pay back the thing. Um, but that's usually means there's low setup costs. As the infrastructure costs and the setup costs start increasing, if you start getting towards four times or four years, 
um, to get a payback, that's probably still pretty reasonable. Anything more than five years, we'd be looking at and saying, is there a real good reason it's more than five years? Because if not, and if it stacks up against others, you'd probably be thinking there's a better alternative unless there's significant infrastructure costs and you've got a longer term to pay it off. We're seeing that some of these franchise terms, you're probably seeing this too, Brian, some of the franchise terms now are five years. So that's saying, and there's usually an option to renew for five years, but that's saying that you've got to get your money back within the five years because that's the term. If you don't renew or the franchise or doesn't renew, that's it. That's your term. And, and, and people just need to bear that one in mind. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I, I was a, I was a sort of um, I suppose a, a serial franchisee when I first got involved in franchising. I had seven dollars in five years. So, but what I learned was building the business up and selling it. So, for an entrepreneur that's comfortable in the space, that's something you sh- you know you could consider. But if it's someone who's their first time in business, what would your advice be to them, Peter, if they were thinking of bu- buying, building, selling? Oh, um, from a payback point of view or just ge- as a general comment? I think just this is a general comment, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. I actually think it's a great idea. What's, what, what, what is, to me, one of the absolute standout features of getting a franchise is, is this. If you haven't been in business before, a franchise is like getting a bike with training wheels. The mm-hmm. systems and processes are all there. They're all in place. They're tried and tested. We've got proven systems. And any, any franchisor will tell you, if you follow the system, you're, you're bound to be okay. So the idea that you're talking about is particularly neat in a, for a greenfield. So a greenfield is a, a, a situation where there's no existing business mm. as opposed to buying an existing. A greenfield means there's no site or presence of your franchise there already. So if you're prepared to get in there, get that territory, um, build it up from nothing, there may be no clients or customers there to start with. Put in the hard yards, um, get it up and running, using the systems, following the systems, building your customer base and your client base, building some loyalty so those clients will keep coming back they build in some profitability. Those first few years, you may be running it pretty low and there may be some costs, certainly some marketing and developing costs, development costs. You may actually run it at a loss in those first couple of years while you're investing in the business to build it up, get some profitability. But then it'll turn. You'll go from loss to profitability and that's a great time to sell it. The best time to sell a business is where there's some blue sky where there's something in it for the next guy that's coming along. But the goal be that you've got a track record and a proven ability to generate profits. That's a great way to do it. Yeah, no, very, very succinct answer. So you mentioned earlier the reference to, you know, the, the changed circumstances in our economy and inflation having now risen its head and there's lots of points of view about how far that's going to go and blah 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 depends where you sit um politically or economically but um, what are some of the impacts you would see of our current inflation cycle peter yeah the 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 first one is the impact it'll have on the cost of your materials and supplies Mm. your costs will go up if you've locked in a rental agreement 
that's okay because you've locked in your rent. But just check the terms on that rental agreement because it typically says uh, they'll fix in a percentage increase each year or CPI. And it's usually the higher of. So you just need to bear that one in mind. Yes, it, it's easy. It's just a small print, but uh, because it's had no relevance or little relevance for quite some time, um, it rears its head and surprises people, I guess. Yeah. Okay. The the oh, there's, a, there's a couple more, but I'm I'm okay with inflation because the world won't end because of inflation. <laughs> the key is to keep up with it. Yeah. So the wages wages will go up we they've they've been built in and the low lower paid um, employees of australia have had a, a big win just recently with the with the base level um, lowest level wage rate increasing super will now be part of that and, and there's also a rate of super has increased as well as super is a percentage of wages so wages have increased therefore super's increased and the rate of super has increased so it's a double whammy but supplies and materials that you use for your cost of sales, people refer to it as COGS or cost of goods sold. This is if you buy something for a dollar and sell it for two, it's the, it's the items that you sell or consume in generating the product that you sell. They've gone up. So that's okay, that's just the way it is. So how do you respond to that to maintain your profit margins? Now the franchise, should be on top of this and be giving some guidelines as far as pricing but at the end of the day you're responsible so there'll be guidance from the franchisor but really it comes down to you as the franchise owner so the key to that is looking at your figures on a regular basis and when I say looking at your figures I mean looking at your profit and loss statement not just random invoices from a supplier but put them into your accounting system. There's plenty of decent accounting, or there's a few good accounting systems out there that your accountant can help you set up. You want to check your sales less cost of goods sold equals gross profit. You can put those in percentage terms. And they're key numbers to look at. They're referred to as KPIs, key performance indicators. And certainly if you're selling food, or actually pretty much anything, that involves the purchase of something that you then convert or resell, that cost of goods sold percentage is a key measure to look at. It's specific per industry. So food or um, drink, drink food and food and beverage businesses, F&B, they've got a, a sort of a benchmark type of cost of goods sold, but so too do manufacturing businesses or um, other businesses that maybe even service business where we include wages or the direct wages of those working on the job, we include those in cost of goods sold as well. So each industry um, has a sort of a ballpark benchmark that you can look at, a really important one to stay on top of, particularly as prices continue to, to increase and, and that will continue. Right. So we, we reach an interesting point here where we're talking about a prospective franchisee looking at a franchise that's available on the market um, and their view, looking at the fact that inflation is occurring, looking at the historic figures and taking that into account, then having the franchisor be keen to sell that franchise, recruit that franchisee. Yeah. 
Um, so we, so we've got an interesting strategy. So how disciplined does, do you need to be if you're buying a business or a franchise, you know, with your bottom line? There must be a break-even point where you say, if I'm not going to make a better return than this, yeah. then I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk away. I'm going I'm to leave it for somebody else. Yeah, that's a, a, that's a really important point. And you would know this as well as I do, Brian, and we've both seen it, where we, we see franchisees or prospective franchisees coming and they've got this glazed look in their eyes and the stars are shining and they just, they've fallen in love with this franchise and they've, they're in love and mm. love is blind. And sometimes even pointing it out, and certainly from an accountant's point of view, um, we'll highlight some of the areas to, to look at like we just have. Um, and sometimes sometimes a bit of a challenge to get somebody who, who is in love with, with, with something because there's a whole lot of conversations they have in their head about what the future is going to look like and I'll be my own boss and I can get out of where I'm working if they've currently got a job and I can do it better than this guy. He's a bit of a clown. Um, I, I reckon I'd be a good, I reckon I'd be okay to do this. And that's fine. But still, I guess the imperative, and certainly for me as an accountant, having seen those that have succeeded and those that have gone down in a, burn, <laughs> a burning crash of disaster, um, really monitor those numbers and look forward. The hard bit, of course, is if there's no existing figures to base it on. If it is a greenfield and we're looking out to say, well, I don't know, um, I, I don't know how it's going to go. There's, there hasn't been one here before. Well, our view on that would be, well, there are a few things that you can put a, I guess, a stake in the ground and we can work out pretty accurately some of the numbers. And if we can work out some of the numbers, we're in a good position to be able to estimate what some of those other numbers would be. So for instance, if you're looking at some premise, if you're looking at a brand new site in an area and you need to have rental premises, you can talk to some real estate agents for the size and footprint of the premises that you're looking for and get a pretty good idea what the rent is going to be. That's one of your biggest costs. The second biggest cost typically is, or one of the top three, is wages. So talking to your franchisor, you will be able to get a good idea of what a typical roster would look like, how many shifts there'll be, how many hours that uh, will, will be required, what level of staff, and therefore what ages will be required. So we can actually work out, they call it a costed roster. So you can work out what a roster would look like. The franchisor will probably also have a good benchmark, or certainly have an idea of what the cost of goods sold percentage would be. They're your big three numbers. So if you work out what your costs are likely to be, and from that, even with a greenfield, we can come up with a pretty good feel of what the costs will be. You can gross that up to work out, well, our sales must be at this level to cover our cost of sale, to cover our rent and our wages, to pay me as the owner, and also if I need to borrow any money, how much I need to factor in to cover my repayments. So then for I'm just going to pick a number. So say, for instance, it comes up and our target is, say, 750000 to cover all of those costs. 
that changes the conversation with the franchisor then, rather than just saying, oh, I don't know how much you're going to make, the conversation then becomes, well, i got to get 750 What are we going to do? What strategies can we put in place? What's our marketing? What's our marketing going to be? What's our launch going to be? What's our promotional activities going to be? What's our local area marketing? What's our social media? What's Instagram? What's Google clicks? All of that. What do we need to do to get those sales? Because I've got to get 750 I think that changes that whole dynamic and puts the franchise or a franchisee, the prospective franchisee, in a very powerful position and a strong position with a good financial footing. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Now, something I know you've got a view on is um, we've mentioned a few different points here. So we've, we've gone through our conversation, which I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying. I hope our listeners are as well. Um, but uh, you, you mentioned about wage rates having increased recently. Um, what, what's some of the flow-ons? I mean, some of them are obvious, but what are the flow-ons that you see that you should be conscious of that you probably haven't yet seen in your figures? Well, such a great question, Brian. The wages figure is the, is the starting point, but it's got three or four knock-ons that are costs that the employer will incur as a result of employing staff. The first one is super, and that's locked in now at 10.5%. So it was 10%, but it's gone up to 10.5 in this year, um, 2023, year ended. Um, so that's your wages and your super. The other cost that relates to that is every time you submit your business activity statement, you'll be paying PAYG, which is pay-as-you-go um, in withholding, which is tax that you withhold from people's pay. Now, this is all part of people's wages, but it is a cash flow effect that you need to counter uh, accommodate in your, in your forecast. Another knock-on effect, there's two others. Uh, workers' comp. Workers' compensation is an insurance that you have to take out to cover any injuries to your employees, but it's based on the level of wages that you pay. So as wages continue to go up, workers' comp will go up. The third, probably one of the last ones to think about is payroll tax. There's a threshold, and this is a state-based tax, and the threshold is different in each state. So you need to look at the wages you pay employees in each state, and uh, roughly it's about a million dollars. When wages hit, it, 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 it's different in each state. So when wages hit a million dollars, say whatever the threshold is in your state, every dollar above that, so not every dollar, but every dollar above that threshold is subject to payroll tax, which is a tax that goes to the state government in which you're operating. And they look at this one, each state government looks at it, they want their money every month or quarter. Uh, in, in the past, it used to be after the year was finished, you'd look at your figures and say, oh, well, turns out that I was over the threshold, and then you could report it and catch up. Now they're saying, um, keep, keep tabs of your wages figure each month or each quarter. If it looks like you're going over the th threshold, you've got to pay us as you go. That's certainly one to keep your eye on. Yeah, that difference in cash flow. So historic cash flow where terms are more generous um, really can't be relied upon. You've got, you've got to do quite a bit of homework on that. And that's where trying to do that yourself, if you're not really familiar 
and comfortable in that sort of accounting bookkeeping space, I think is often the difficult one because you're going to be making assumptions. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, in, in some respects, that's always a bit of a risk, isn't it? Um, so I suppose with regards to, to labour and so forth, um, what's your view on, you know, finding the right sort of people? Um, you know, and I suppose looking at where we've got more and more IT these days, you know, we're more, more and more digital, particularly over the last two to three years with our impact of COVID. <clears throat> From a strategic point of view, how do you recommend a business owner, operator addresses that? with regards to rising costs yeah it's a, it's a it's a big one depending on the type of business but where you can automate the systems and structures as much as possible what i've been fascinated with lately has been the impact of ai or artificial intelligence and the way this is coming into play over the last few years certainly from an accounting point of view there's been a push to they call it offshoring or outsourcing where um, because of the internet we can we can have people offshore in other countries doing at, at lower cost doing the accounting work because it's as if they're just down the hallway but this is now getting beyond that where part of the processes are being completed by either ai or by robotics i've had a, a client that grew massively they were young guys they were actually all under about 26 and they all had doctorates in physics and they had a they had a robotics business um, and it was a it was boom time they were they were very big yeah it really sure. comes down just just on just to wrap up that one on the on the wages the key to wages is productivity mm. so some of our businesses we just have to have people um hands and legs on on deck so um being able to keep them occupied in a profitable and efficient way because fair work and we've got these um, regulations that we need to pay them for a minimum number of hours. So let's make sure that if they're customer facing, for instance, if there's no customers, what are they going to do? We can't just have, we can't just be paying people to stand around with nothing to do. So what we're finding is that business owners need to be very conscious of the workload and and the activities that they, they want their staff to be doing. So if, say, they're customer-facing staff, and if there's a moment or two where there's no customers, what can we think to do to have those employees doing to make the most of the time? We're paying them, so we want them to be as productive as possible so that we can generate a return on their activity for every hour that we're paying them for. It probably also means that with the wage increase, we need to then relook at that roster that we've got for them. We are required to have them for certain hours, depending on their shift and their reward. But um, what does it mean as far as the cost of that? And certainly, if we look back historically at previous figures, if, for instance, wages have been, say, 28%, um, they may not be that anymore because of some of these other costs that we've talked about. So it comes to it probably leads to a conversation about the, the status of our employees. Are they casual? Are they part-time? Are they full-time? Is there a way to find a balance that is financially beneficial for the owner because you're the one providing the, the, the employment, but yet we need to be very clear and careful with our employees because at the moment, and it's been well documented, there's a shortage of employees. Um, the 
government's doing what they can to improve that. So we have to be very careful with what we've got and who we recruit. Yeah, this seems to be an international problem affecting the whole of the world. Um, certainly here, here in Australia, but we see same comments reflected from, uh, from the US, from the UK and other parts of the common market, for example. Um, productivity is the factor. It's something that's been, I suppose, um, sidestepped a lot over the years. And I think it's coming home to roost now. So as you say, keeping people not just doing something, it's not just sweeping the front step, but it's doing something that's actually going to have a value that means you'll have a reduced cost for something later. So I guess you could clean the windows because otherwise you're going to pay somebody else to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, also, I also think uh, to get them involved in some local area marketing. Um, so it's not just so they stand behind the candle, here's a broom, but to actually get them out and about, maybe doing some coupon drops or some testing or sampling out there with customers walking past, there's, there's lots of opportunities. So just put the thinking caps on. That's a great one, actually. If you've got a coffee shop, you know, cafe, go around to the doctors and the, and, and the physios and say, here's a voucher. If you've got a customer waiting, you can give them a voucher for a coffee, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, be, be a bit creative. And, you know, people are quite open to that type of thing. Yeah. No one's going to slam the door in your face. So um, I suppose, look, we spoke about risk at the moment. So I don't, I don't want anyone to feel too negative. <laughs> Turn the page. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm a believer that there's a huge opportunity. We all, we all know if you read history and look at economics generally, you know, during the times of uh, times of challenges, even going back to the 30s with the depression, that's when the, that's when a lot of people get seriously wealthy because the opportunities are there because a lot of people are asleep on their feet, yep. or they are understandably reluctant to take the opportunity to take the risk. So there, and there are others at the moment, for example, who are who are not gearing up with new technology. So if, you, if you're on the ball and you're creative and you've got a little bit of capital, uh, I, I think the opportunities are there. So what about some of the opportunities from your, what, what you see from your side of the fence there, Peter? I think there's, I think there's a couple of them. And uh, certainly from a prospective franchise, franchisee's perspective, um, with all the noise that's been going on out there about the, the rising costs and things like that, and what we've covered in that first you know, 20 minutes of our, our podcast so far, um, franchisors are aware of that. So to me, even without looking at anything else, I think that puts the franchisee, the prospective franchisee, in a great negotiating position. So it gives them the, the opportunity to, to negotiate perhaps better pricing or maybe a honeymoon on uh, commencing royalties or there, there, there may be other things, um, some local area marketing assistance or some marketing generally, some assistance to part of their launch. It puts them in a position and now's the time. If I say to go hard, uh, franchisors are looking to increase their numbers and um, to find franchisees. And so I think if anything, if there's a time to do a deal, I think now's a good time to do that. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You're looking at the two viewpoints there as a franchisee. There's no doubt franchise are, franchisors are looking because there are opportunities out there. You know, you're picking up good rent deals at the moment, all that type of thing. But also from a franchisor's point of view, looking at franchisees, I think there are going to be an increasing number of really good franchisee prospects coming in the market, just as happened 30 years ago. We had a very similar situation with in the era of Paul Keating and Bob Hawke 
when we yeah. had recession we had to have and as we came out of that a number of people who just were fed up with you know the t limited tenure of their employment um, and particularly at the moment with people having been you know enjoyed working from home to some degree so there's a huge i think opportunity there for franchisors to sharpen their pencils um yeah. but one thing you mentioned was you know someone who's looking at falling in love with the franchise and I've certainly got an experience I can think of going back quite some years ago of putting on a franchisee who was in that is was in that mindset. It was a mistake because they actually weren't really looking at things objectively. Um, so it's something to be very careful with. Someone who's overexcited when you're looking at a prospective franchisee and you're the franchisor, if they're overexcited, you just got to be very wary because it may be that you know they they <laughs> they that they've not really reflected on the the sort of buyer's remorse, if you like, and it may be that a few days or weeks or months later, suddenly the whole thing implodes and it can get nasty. Anyway, not yeah. it's not my interview. This is short. Great point, though. I guess the other one on on opportunities, and I'm probably going to sound like an accountant here at this time. <laughs> oh no, and that's okay. But if I put it this way, that tough or tougher financial times will always put some people in financial stress. Mm. It's just the way it is. So in the past, when things were good, typically or like a likely scenario would be where someone's overextended themselves and they've got too much debt typically or too, too many financial commitments. So if you, you may end up, picking up a bargain where somebody just has to sell because they can't meet their financial obligations. Mm. So th there's a view that some of us don't want to be seen as being predators or, or vultures preying on somebody else's misfortune. I'm probably not suggesting that or to look at it that way. But what I am saying is there is a view out there that between now and say, maybe we'll get through Christmas, but maybe by Easter next year, there may be some fire sales that are coming up which represent real good value. So probably to keep the, the radar on high alert for that one, um, we're seeing already this financial stress is starting to kick in. So that's not to say just go and buy something. Um, any prospective franchisee still needs to do their due diligence and uh, but and still get it at the right right price. So still need to stress test the numbers. Um, and if if someone is in financial stress, one of the key questions to ask might not ask it straight away, but to find the answer to is how come this business is in financial stress? Because also the last thing you want to do is yeah, you can pick up a bargain, but <laughs> then uh, you find, you find yourself in hot water as well. Yeah. Having had a number of businesses over the years, I've been on both sides of that equation. And I must say, yeah, you can pick up some great opportunities, but you've got to know what you're doing. Yes. You've got to control your emotions because it's so easy to get carried away, like being at an auction. You know, I dare go to auctions. <laughs> but uh, but if you're, a, if you're a vendor, well, it doesn't matter whether you're selling a car or a house or a franchise, um, the reality is, in actual fact, very grateful and for someone coming along who's 
who's, who's going to take that off your hands. So it actually isn't necessarily such a negative situation. The relationship can be quite a strong one. And it can end up with, you know, a, a long-term relationship of support and, and so forth. So something to bear in mind. And it all comes down to how you approach it. It's all about your conversation, the people you talk to. Um, you need to tune in some of Greg Nathan's material at Franchise Relationships Institute find out how to talk to people in these different situations because uh, it's all about the words and the intimations of what you say. Yeah. So finance, um, you know, that's a bit of a changing sort of market at the moment as well, isn't it? What, yeah. what do you see as being um, opportunities out there for people in the current marketplace? Yeah, current marketplace, in interesting with the, the way the banks are at the moment. And I got an update from somebody last week who works in the finance sector and they've said this, which was a surprise to me that you, you may have, you've come across the idea of or the notion of a pre-approval, mm. which most of us try to get before we commit to buying something. Um, up until just recently, the term or the amount of time a pre-approval was valid was 60 to 90 days, which means you had 60 days from the approval to make your purchase and, and do the negotiation and that 60-day period was valid for the amount that you were pre-approved for. That's now been tightened up to 30 days. Wow. That's tight. So what that means is, this is the big four, uh, is what I've, what I've been told, is that you've got 30 days from the approval, from that pre-approval to get your deal done. So that probably, probably means a few things. Um, get get your negotiations underway early and run with the um, in parallel with the financier to try to get your finance and the deal done all at the same time. I mean, but how awkward is that? You don't even know if you want the thing yet, and you've, you're trying to you're trying to balance getting your finance. Don't even know if you're going to get this business yet. But that's what we've got to deal with. What it means though is the second tier lenders they referred to as the second tier, which is everybody who's not a big four and then you work your way down, their, their terms are still a bit longer for their pre-approval. Uh, the, the offset, though, is their rates can be up to half a percent higher than the big four. So just have a think about, ha have a think about that and, and be on the lookout. What it also might mean, though, is um, having, it, having a think about ways to perhaps restructure the finance um, element so rather than one big loan to get the whole business it might be possible to break that down so that you have a couple of different loans for different for different parts of the business so for instance the assets of the business it's likely they could be financed under what's referred to as asset finance so for instance you could have a bigger loan to cover for instance, the purchase of the franchise and cover some of the training. Um, but then if you need a van or equipment, maybe get that under a separate piece of finance. And that way, there's not so much reliance on any one lender. There's a bit more to it because you're fussing around with a couple of different lenders, but it does give you a way of breaking down um, so you, th there's not such a big figure that you need to borrow. That's, that's a very good point. Um, I mean, going back when I was busily recruiting franchisees, I know that one thing we, we learned we needed to do was to get people 
you couldn't necessarily get them get a pre-approval letter, but you could get something to get some form of confidence, I suppose, that these people were suitably qualified. And yeah. I think mean, that's something to think about. If, if you're a prospective franchisee, just think if you're on the other side of the fence, what would you be looking for? So try and get all that stuff together before you start shopping around. Because as Peter says, if those periods of time have been shortened between approval and settlement, wow, that is really tight. You're going to have all your ducks lined up. Okay. So I suppose um, (laughs) a general question. (laughs) This would be dropped in your lap. This is a a classic question to an accountant. And uh, I'm interested to hear your answer. So we've been talking about, you know, pros and cons, different side of the marketplace, all the sort of impacts there are at the moment, interest rates and and, and productivity, et cetera, et cetera, and an unknown, uncertain future. What, what's your views currently on you know, owning a business? Yeah, it's, it's such a great question. Um, I, I'm, I'm so in favour of people running their own business and um, the entrepreneurial spirit, I, I, I think, will never die i don't think so people have just there's just something inside of people that want to have a go and so i i'm still convinced um, that um, running your own business still represents a great opportunity to be in charge of your own destiny i mean your comment there earlier brian about the great depression and the the statistics that always come to mind is you know unemployment got up to 30 percent but that means employment Employment was 70%. We never talk about it, <laughs> just make it sound like it was the end of the world. It wasn't. 70% of people still had a job and there were still some phenomenal opportunities that happened and developed during that Great Depression. So I still see that's a great opportunity ahead right now. I see there's going to be some brilliant opportunities from a purchasing point of view. I guess I would temper it to say, you know, running a business is still hard. The, the stories that we've heard over the years where business owners are working 60 and 70 hours a week, yep, that's going to continue. Uh, even with being productive and AI and um, being as efficient as possible as we can, there are things about running a business that just need to be done. Some of the housekeeping, some of the bookkeeping in the back end, the admin dealing with suppliers outside of work hours, they've just got to be done. And that means that there are skills that are needed Um, that are not dependent on any particular cycle that the economy is going through. So, for instance, if you're a builder, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'd be good at running a building business. If you're an accountant, might not mean you're very good. (laughs) don't have to be very good at... You might not be very good at running an accounting practice. You might be very good at the... Technically, the skill of, say, being an accountant... But being a business manager, that's different to being having the skills needed to do that particular task. So therefore, um, learn as much as you can before you dive in. If there are some courses you think you might need to be doing, do those. And the sort of thing I'd be thinking there is um, managing people, uh, conflict resolution, dispute management, um, leadership training. There's some really good stuff on that. There's online courses that you can do. Plenty of stuff out there. So it's not just about the skills of that business that you're buying, because it's likely you'll end up managing staff. So make sure you're on top of those skills that you need to manage people. 
Good point. You know, and I think managing people is probably the, one of the biggest challenges in life. In fact, people <laughs> often think, wouldn't it be easier? <laughs> Everybody thought like me. But <laughs> the truth is, you know, it, it's interesting. I was reading some some information over the weekend, in fact, uh, about the fact we're all looking for happiness. But, you know, we do the things and we accept that you, you don't really enjoy. You know, you're happy if you feel fit and trim, but you don't enjoy getting up at 30 every every other morning going to the gym but you do it you feel happy if you you climb a mountain and you enjoy getting to the peak but think on the way up painful I, <laughs> yeah. and that analogy i think follows through in business you know you've got this dream you'd love to have a business and you've you could, you've, you've met plenty of people who've got businesses that are very successful but of course you and your mother-in-law your next door neighbor and the accountant you know up the, up the road they all know examples of people who haven't been successful. So you've got to look at it, determine what your objectives are and realise nothing comes easy, um, but with effort comes satisfaction. Agreed. Put in the effort. A absolutely. And the final the final point on that about running your own business is, is this one. Where you can, do what you can to improve your financial awareness. So mm. get, get your head around what a profit and loss statement in does what does it show what's the information that it does show and what are the key numbers to look at you don't really need to dig down on every number there's probably four or five numbers on a profit and loss that are key and then the other key report is the balance sheet so if you're looking to buy a business understand what's in the balance sheet the balance sheet shows assets and liabilities the other way to look at that is shows what you own and what you owe Mm. So liabilities for what you owe so to get your head around those and have a good feel for it to me i, I had to finish with that brian i am an accountant after all so life life to me does boil down to being a balance sheet well this is this, this is our, our due diligence warning uh, there's yeah. a, a disclaimer <laughs> in conversation what we discuss maybe something you find suitable and make sure you seek legal accounting and commercial advice before you take any activity. So um, just, just um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. That's tremendous. Thanks very much, Peter. I think that uh, we've got a lot of material there we've covered for people. Um, what I'd like to do is to thank everyone for listening and thank you, Peter. Is there anything just as your final sort of nightcap you'd like to give a nod to before we... Yes, just, just, the, yep, just the final thing. If anyone's interested in some help for looking at their due diligence on a, on a business, we have a, a fixed price pre-purchase review, $965 fixed fee, and happy to uh, make that available to anyone who's looking to buy a business. Fine. Then how do we get in contact with you, Peter? We'd love to quickly tap into your resources. Very good. Thank, thank you, Brian. Peter.knight at franchiseaccountingandtax.com.au. Excellent. And you'll find you're fairly active on um, on social media. Media so, LinkedIn is social of choice. Yeah, but um, yeah, pretty yeah, he's there most days. <laughs> so it, it highlights as well, you know, if you're going into business or if you're in business, so easy, if you're in business, it's easy to get complacent. If you're looking at business, don't be intimidated, but you need to build very quickly a suite of people around you who you can get access to as experts that you trust. Yeah. That's in the legal, accounting, and other practical areas so having said all that um thanks everybody for listening thank you peter i've really enjoyed having a chat and i'm sure we'll catch up again as these different topics pop up and look forward to talking to everybody the next time we have a franchise radio show that's great thanks brian pleasure wow.